Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio, where we'll talk about news, education, and opportunities for small businesses on the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street and in Washington, D.C. I'm Michelle Yancey. And I'm Kyle Todd. Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Hey, good morning, and welcome everyone to another episode of Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Thank you for tuning in again. Um, First, as always, we want to make sure and thank our sponsors, the Department of Small and Local Business Development and the Department of Housing and Community Development. It is their grants to us that uh, allow us to put on this show and also to provide uh, small business technical assistance grants, storefront improvement grants, and uh, and events up and down Rhode Island Avenue Main Street. Uh, So thank you to DHCD and DSLVD for your generous grants to us. Um, we're going to dive right in today, um, because we've got a return guest, um, as promised a few weeks ago, uh, we've got, uh, today in the studio again, Brian Becker. Welcome back, Brian. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, feels like you were here just yesterday, uh, but let's, uh, let's dive in. Thank you so much for coming back this time. We are going to pick your brain about your, your day job, your, your, your last interview is all about Northeast Eats, as you all will remember that listen because you listen to every episode. Uh, but uh, your day job is as the uh, director of small business out- outreach for the Sioka Center at Catholic University. There's a much longer name that goes with that, but um, we're a podcast, so we're going to keep it short. <laughs> uh, So um, this is a a phenomenal resource for small businesses in the D.C. area, uh, located right here in Ward 5 at Catholic University. Um, It is the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship. Wow, that's a lofty goal. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so tell us about it. So first, uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I just joined Catholic staff uh, at the end of last summer. And... uh, What's really exciting about this position and what the university is doing is that we're, we are relatively new to this space. Uh, the, the Bush School of Business itself is only just about five years old. Um, and this small business initiative that I'm now running is, is even newer than that. Um, and so it's in a true entrepreneurial spirit. We're able to build out this program in such a way and meet business owners where they are and try to figure out where we can, where we can help most in this space. Um, and so it's an exciting place to be, and we have a couple of kind of anchor programs, and then we have a couple of things that we've tried uh, to, to build out uh, just based on feedback of the businesses that we're working with. Um, and at the end of the day, the idea was if we could get our students the experience of working in real time with live cases with actual businesses, that that would help cement their, their knowledge that they're gaining with the kind of nuts and bolts at the Bush School um, and also make the university a stronger community partner um, and to, to help businesses themselves. So what does that look like when you say you've got students working directly with businesses? Um, what does that look like? So we, our first entree into this arena was to forge a formal partnership with Mess Hall. Um, and we quickly discovered that all of, all of the, the businesses at Mess Hall have needs that roughly align with all the experiences that our, our Bush School students should have before they graduate. So, you know, be it branding and marketing or finance and accounting or strategy and operations and those kinds of things. Um, and so initially it was completely dependent upon an absolute magical lightning in a bottle scenario where you would have a need identified in a business that aligned with a student who could help them with that business overseen by a faculty member who was willing to help them with that business at a very specific time. 
Um, when I first came in, I said, you know, this is awesome, but having worked with a fair number of business owners over the years, trying to pin them down to an exact place and an exact time is difficult because these are extremely difficult, extremely busy people, um, and we should make ourselves more available to them and, and truly meet them where they are. Um, so we still have the continuing partnership with Messall. Um, part of that is we bring faculty members in uh, to uh, give various res- presentations to their uh, to their members. Um, it'll be things like running the business model canvas or focusing on core versus explorer and that kind of stuff. Um, and then we opened up a small-scale consultancy portal, uh, initially, again, just for mess law businesses a couple years ago. And then this past year, we've opened it up to the community at large. Um, so we went from about uh, just shy of 20 completed projects uh, in the spring of 2018, before I joined, um, to now we are over 60 total projects completed. Wow. Um, our, our students this semester really cranked it out, uh, both for mess hall members, and we did a, a bunch with taste hall members, uh, tastemakers members, excuse me, um, and then other folks who are in our growing database of small business owners. Um, and it's, it's really had some, some really cool stories that have fallen out of it. Um, one member at Mess Hall in particular uh, has an incredible product. Uh, she was struggling with uh, the possibility of filling these massive orders she's gotten recently from the likes of Whole Foods and Mom's Organics and others. Um, and we were able to entice a faculty member who specializes in strategy and operations to identify bottlenecks and work through them. Um, and she, I think, has been able to increase her capacity by 500%. It was wow. last I looked. Um, That's not a small thing. No, it's not. And part of it was, uh, particular to her product, there was a bottleneck with regards to production and some of the machinery. And so we actually enlisted the help of the engineering department to fashion a piece to help eliminate the bottleneck um, wow. and really just cool amazing stuff uh, and, and that's that's one of our major victories from this year that we have um, a, a real tangible like metrics driven impact on a business um, and it, it's great to see her doing so well and, and she's you know really just a, a great person and, uh, and and someone that I, w- I want our students to spend more time with um, and one of the shifts that we've made over the years I think that when the program was first started the the idea was well we're going to get all these business owners together and then we're going to not lecture them, but kind of bring them into the fold as principal entrepreneurs and what that means in the kind of big brain academic sense. What we learned pretty quickly is we need to flip that. These business owners are already doing the things that we're lecturing about to our students. Mm -hmm. And the more exposure we can give our students to these small business owners who are doing business the right way, um, being true community partners, maintaining relationships, understanding the, the ethics of business just because they wouldn't be around for very long if they didn't. Um, it's, it's really been an interesting kind of inversion of the strategy that I want our students rubbing elbows and understanding these small businesses and, and, and what their challenges are. And that's really the, the, the most important educational possibility. It's not just that, hey, you, you ran a finance and accounting project for a small business in the neighborhood. It is that you did that, but you got access to somebody who was doing the damn thing. Wow. And, and that you were able to, to learn from, you know, live ammo in the field as opposed to just, you know, sitting there wondering what it would be like to be inside a business. Right, right. And, and just a, a quick side note for, for those of you who may be listening for the first time, Mess Hall uh, that was referenced and Tastemakers that was referenced uh, by Brian, uh, those are both food production incubator spaces mm-hmm. here in, in D.C. And, and quite successfully done. 
Uh, and both walkable to our campus. Absolutely, and <laughs> both walkable to my belly. That's right. Um, they, particularly tastemakers, they've got a, a great food court there. Um, so sorry for that uh, that sidetrack, but I wanted to make sure everybody knew what that was. Um, so, so do you you have business owners come in and and like do a seminar? Is that we do in some cases. Um, we have shifted a little bit from again just working strictly within Messall, and I want to open it up to the larger community. So instead of us having our our Sioka lecture series from from Catholic U professors in Messall just for their members, I'm actually asking the members to come, you know go the five blocks down to our campus, um, and then we can invite the the, the public at large. Um, so that's going to be a big step for the 2019-2020 uh, school year. Um, we just opened, you, folks in the neighborhood have probably noticed the, the construction right at the Charles Drew Bridge um, mm-hmm. on Michigan Avenue. Mm-hmm. The, the Bush School of Business is now in that beautiful retrofitted building, Maloney Hall. Um, and so we want to showcase that to the, to the community as well, that, that this, is a, this will be a more open community space for them to use as well. Um, and so we, we bring in a variety of speakers. Um, I, I started a, a Sioka small business series um, where we get together once a month, uh, try to meet people at different times a day. So it was a coffee one month. It was a lunch another month. It was a happy hour at mess hall another month. Um, but we bring in folks who specialize in certain things. So um, there was, uh, during the government shutdown, we brought in a uh, consultant who specializes in, in positioning your business against the shutdown. And the mistake that I made was I thought it would be extremely topical for one of those weeks where it might happen, it might not. And I realized that if I was in a business that could be affected by this, I'm not taking time to go listen to somebody talking about it. I'm going to try to get as much done that week as possible. And then if Friday hits as it might. So that was one mistake that I made. Um, But that's the kind of topics that we're we're bringing to bear um, and and trying to figure out what is, is most relevant to the business owners. Um, we had another one come in, um, that was all about starting a podcast, if that's something you want to do. Um, so we had a bunch of, a few small business owners come in and take advantage of that opportunity and a few students as well. Um, and then the other big program that we offer, uh, is the, the inner city capital connections program, um, which we are the exclusive host for DC. Um, I was actually a member of the 2017 cohort, which was the first one, so I know it inside and out. Um, we actually took our students have that built into their curriculum as well for our small business growth lab class. So last year, since we didn't host it on campus, we flew them down to Atlanta to experience that, and then up to Boston for the, the national conference. But it's in 13 cities nationwide. Um, we are responsible for recruiting uh, local businesses to participate. It's free. Uh, it's billed as being a MBA on steroids. Um, I just view it as being a one-day excellent educational opportunity in the hard skills of running a business. But the soft skills, I think, are really important here, too. You have a great collection of local business owners. We, we shoot to have over 100 there. And the amount of connections that are made in the, in the, in the off sessions, and I'm actually encouraging our, our partners in, uh, from the initiative from a, for a competitive inner city to build in a little bit more downtime so that you can – lock eyes with somebody across the room knowing that you knew them from somewhere in the past or you know that they happen to run a similar business to yours or a business with which you might collaborate. Um, And there have been some really cool anecdotal stories that came out of the last cohort where two people that met at the ICCC on our campus 
are now engaged in, in, in big projects together and those kinds of things. So wow. um, it, it's a great opportunity. I, I know that for small business owners, they're in some cases their most valuable resources, their time. Um, but I think that I've talked to a couple of the other participants and even for folks whose businesses were much further down the path, they viewed it as being a refresh, a refresh of concepts that they hadn't maybe focused on. Um, and they viewed it as an, a kind of an executive retreat. Mm. So yeah, I'm a big left page versus right page note taker in the sense that the right page is relevant to what's being discussed, but then the left page is where my head is. Um, and I noticed that there's a lot of that going on in the room where people, yes, are, are up there listening to the panel about different types of capital and the, and, and the, the difference between debt and equity funding and those kinds of like bare bones things. But then they're also thinking about their own business. And, and, and if you have two or three takeaways from that experience, it's extremely valuable. Now, I'll also say it's the inner city, uh, the inner city capital connections program. There is a capital component here in play. Um, if you are a business that is, is ready for a, a, an equity round of funding or a rapid growth scenario, and that not all businesses are, um, they do help guide you in that direction. They, they do bring, uh, especially at the national conference, which follows about six weeks after the, the opening conference, um, you do have access to, to investors. Um, and really the bulk of the, or the, the basis of the program has you prepare a pitch and then you pair it up with a coach and you continue to refine your pitch so you could eventually give it. Um, I try to downplay that a little bit because yes, that's one part of it, but if that's all you're hoping for and you get let down because you didn't get your million dollars of funding or whatever shark tank dream you have, um, there's a lot more to it than just that. Um, and it, they do a pretty good job of, of collecting local finance providers as well. So there's one panel every year that is, is very interesting and they'll bring in an angel investor, they'll bring in a, a, a venture capitalist, uh, a bank lender, and then a non-traditional funder like an LEDC or, or something like that mm -hmm. or a CDFI. Mm -hmm. And then they will actually talk about what different things they look for and how you might have a pitch for a, for a bank that's going to be much different than your pitch for an angel investor. And, and what that should look like. And, and what I found most interesting is that the prevailing sentiment is you need to know your business and where you want to go with it. And then you can strategize about how to get there. Um, there was one woman who stood up, I remember, in my initial cohort who was talking all about equity funding and, and she was willing to give points in, in order to, to get investors, but she kept saying, my business, my business, my business. And one of the panelists said, time out. As soon as you go down this path, it's no longer your business. Uh, of angel investing. Yeah, or, 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 or venture, venture capitalist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and she kind of paused. And he said, this is, this is your, your decision. You either go left or go right. If it's important that it's your Red business. Pill, blue pill. It, yeah, <laughs> seriously. Uh, and if you, if you really want to know your customer and you really want to be a local anchor of your community and everything else, and you want to be able to, to you know, attend community events when you want to and, and, and maybe not be totally focused on profit all the time you know you want to sustain and you want to and you want to grow your business but it's not at under defined terms then don't even go down this path but if you are willing to kind of grow your empire so to speak then you need to bring other people to the table and you need to listen what they have to say and just that light bulb moment was was i think palpable and everyone in the room kind of scratched their heads and they're like wow maybe i don't want to go down this path or the other right that's uh, so smart yeah i, I uh, mean because absolutely once you start getting investors they're going to have ideas about how things should be and in some cases they negotiate to have place members on your board 
and if they don't like what you're doing, they can vote you off the island. I mean, that, that's just, <laughs> it's, it's hard, but for a lot of business owners, they, they, they do things like watch Shark Tank, and they go to pitch competitions and everything else, and they think that they're focused just on the, on the money part of it and don't think about the strings attached. Right. Um, right. And this organization and this conference, I think, is a, is a pretty, they call it a warmer, gentler Shark Tank. Um, <laughs> It really allows people to have that experience without making big mistakes. Mm. And you're able to talk through and think through how it would apply to you directly and not just look at the kid who, you know, thought up another cell phone accessory and then he gets a million dollars from Mark Cuban or whatever it is. Like, it's, it's just not that simple. Um, and, and I think that that has real value. And from our students' perspective, I think by and large, they're wired to be very, very kind of quantitative driven. Right. And when we were down in Atlanta last year, same, same, roughly the same panel, same kind of discussion going on. And there was a woman who has these beauty products that were extremely well-received. Everyone on the panel was like, you should, you should be a global co- corporation with these products. Mm. I, that's not my world. I don't know what it is. But anyway, <laughs> she said that she really had wanted to adopt more of like a brewery model where you have the production facility on site, but you also had a spa on site. And she said it was important to her to know her customers. And... Our students, and they had a little Slack channel going during this thing, they're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why wouldn't she take the money and run? Why wouldn't she try to grow her business as fast as she can, as effectively as she can, and, and make the most money? And to, to the, the owner's credit, she said, you know, that's not who I want to be when I grow up. I want, to be able to, I want to be able to pick my kids up from school. I don't want to be on a flight to Tokyo to figure out, you know, how to source more materials for my product or whatever. That's just not who she wanted to be. And I give her a ton of credit because she knew that going in. And what the conference was able to help her navigate is if she knows that going in, then she can take a lot of these other possibilities off the table. Right, right. And then she can really focus on what's important to her and growing her business the way that she wants. And for our students who are, you know, 21, 22 years old, they're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) And I said, fine, but let's play this forward. Let's say she goes down that path and five years from now she's miserable. And she realized she doesn't spend enough time at home. If she loves living in Atlanta, she doesn't spend enough time in Atlanta. Like, that's a bigger risk, and that's a bigger problem than her maybe not making as much money over the course of 10 years. Well, these are people we're talking about. They, they are. The, the argument could be made as a devil's advocate here. Sure. Well, fine. You know, try to cash out now, yeah. and then you can spend a lot of time with your kids right. uh, down the line when, right. you, when you sell out. Sell out, sell off. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they, and they do talk a lot about that too. So they, the terms that were unfamiliar to me as an English major and, and, and everything else, but the, you know the difference between your exit strategies at a speedboat or a parachute. Right. And, and that was that was eye opening to me. Um, I, I have the benefit of, of not owning my own business right now, so I can just sit back and take all this in. But my wife owns one and runs it out of her house, so a lot of the stuff that I end up learning on her behalf kind of trickles down within the household, but. And it becomes part of your soul. Yep, that's right. <laughs> uh, so, so you mentioned uh, earlier that the DC program uh, of ICIC is um, one of fourteen. Yes, thir- thirteen this 13, year. 13. Yeah. So, um, who sponsors this? Who, who's whose brainchild is this? It's a good question. Um, so, ICIC, which is the Initiative for a Competitive Inner City, uh, is based out of Boston. They're a nonprofit. Uh, they are a spinoff of Michael Porter at Harvard University, who had the somewhat controversial hypothesis uh, about 15 years ago that 
no, it's not actually a negative to be running a business and even a production facility in an inner city environment. It's actually a positive. Um, and he talked all about the, the various infrastructure advantages, the, 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 the ripe uh, community to have great staffing come through, the highly educated workforce, all those kinds of things, and capital investment. So, so you know, at the time, I think a lot of American cities, and this D.C. especially, there was an influx of capital and a kind of a, a renewed interest in rebuilding and, 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 and investing in inner city areas from the, from the federal government on down. And so he predicted, I think, a lot of what happened, and he wasn't the one, only one, but he said it seems like inner city businesses lack a couple of things uh, in order to, to really grow quickly and, and to sustain their businesses. And, and access to capital was, was the, the biggest one they identified, but also social capital um, and, and connecting with the, some of the decision makers and some of the capital providers and being able to talk the talk and understand if they're going to try to seek investment, what, what things they should know about. Uh, the big joke in the first day of the of ICCC is what is IBIDA and like how do you pronounce <laughs> it and if you've never heard of it pay attention and, and I think that, and what is IBIDA? That's uh, not my this is not my land. I took good <laughs> notes. Uh, it, it has to do with ratios as I understand them and when you describe uh, your cash flow versus your expenses that, that's about as far as I get. Like, like I said, English, we are together on that English we'll major. Just, we'll let somebody else figure that out and tell us about it. But I know that if I am seeking investment, I got to figure that piece out first, which is fine. Um, so yeah, they, they, they started in Boston um, and they have gradually moved around uh, the nation. Uh, different cities have different local hosts. Uh, and so Catholic University of America is the DC host. Uh, Memphis, for instance, has FedEx since they're based there um, as their uh, Huckleberry, so to speak. Um, the one up in Baltimore is Kaiser Permanente, um, who's a big national sponsor. Uh, we were down in Atlanta. It was Regions Bank. Um, so Satander is, is, is involved as well. Uh, Bank of America is a big national sponsor. Um, so it, it is kind of interesting to see, even in their annual report, our name up there with all these massive corporations. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, I think the university strategy was we are building out this brand new small business support idea. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to create something and then tell people we're here, we we attached ourselves to to a, a well known and well regarded national entity, um, and we were able to to benefit from the m- momentum that that caused. You know, when we when the press release went out that we were attaching ourselves to to this uh, national movement, it, it, it made waves and people showed up. So, so this this inner city uh, program. It's so smart. I I know that even from the from the national Main Street's perspective, you know, we've had a conference every year, and in the last uh, few years, there's really been a lot of um, a lot of focus given to uh, cities of all sizes, whether it's you know a, a small town that has been shrinking or um, a, a larger city that has a, a quote unquote inner city that is suffering. Uh, to to put light manufacturing in those cities and to to draw entrepreneurs that are not only uh, designing the next groundbreaking widget but then building it and selling it um, because the internet is king as far as marketing and and even shipping information they're, they're brick and mortars are 
phenomenal and they will never go away. And, and what businesses are looking at is where can we have a flagship brick and mortar and then manufacture and distribute out. Um, so, so this this program sounds like it pairs really well with some of the, the main street energy of uh, how can we encourage our makers to um, not only survive as a brick and mortar and appeal to their their local neighbors and 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 building that connection like the like the woman with the skincare line but but also enable them uh, both from a logistics uh, education comfort zone um, to be able to to market and distribute across the country and, and the globe if if all goes well um, this is a I think this is a great program, and um, I I want us to work together. I'm going to put sure. it out here, right here, right here on Rhode Island Avenue Radio <laughs> and on the podcast that uh, this isn't the last we'll talk about this. And uh, if I could just real quick just talk about the um, the process. Yeah. So we are currently actively seeking nominating partners, of, of which I would love for you to to be one of them. Um, and so anybody in the community who thinks that they, a, a business could benefit from this can go on the website. Um, I just type in ICIC and ICCC and it gets me where I need to go. All right. Um, and there's a nominate here and also an apply here button there. Um, but basically the, the process is you're nominated by somebody. Um, you then apply to do the program. There's a, a, a very brief, uh, application process and then the folks in Boston give you a call just to kind of verify uh, what you've said and, and any answer ask any questions um, and then it, it is on a rolling basis um, that, that uh, I think right now I just had a call with them the other day DC is currently leading all other cities in terms of nominations so thank you to all of our nominating partners yeah. um, and I think they've accepted uh, just over 10 of the businesses that have applied um, and then there's a bunch who are kind of in process right now uh, towards our, our total goal of 100. Um, so I know when we had our kickoff breakfast back in, in February, it, September seemed like a long ways away, um, but here we, here we are almost June, um, mm-hmm. and I, I know very well that this town tends to clear out in, in August oftentimes. Um, so th- these next couple of months, people will be seeing a lot about this uh, from the various nominating partners. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a free program, and I think that um, – in addition to being free, the minimal time commitment that's required is also really attractive. Like, yes, it's a full day, but it's one day. Um, it's not, you know, two hours every Tuesday for six months or whatever right. it is. Right. Um, so, and there's all kinds of webinars that are a part of the program. Um, you know, when I went through it myself, I, I took a pretty close look at all that was sent my way and I tried, I didn't have time to watch them all. Um, but th- they give you the freedom to, to pick what's most relevant to you. Um, and it's not like if you don't watch all 12 webinars that you don't get, you know, you don't get to come to the conference or anything. It's, it's not that kind of party. So, so what types of businesses is this geared for? It's a good question. Um, I have tried to kind of more broadly define what that is. Um, I think that in the first cohort, it tended to gear a little bit more towards, um, Contractors, like either government contractors or or, or construction contractors, and, and uh, certain industries that are really built to scale, maybe a little bit more easily. Um, whereas I've really identified folks who are on the main street, who who I think are, are such essential parts of of, of our community, um, they could still benefit from this, even if they're not going to open twelve stores. Right. Um, I think that 
to be truly representative of, of, of the ecosystem in this city, we need to encourage all those folks to take the time if they can too. Um, and I, you know, in a, in a perfect world, I would love to have, you know, a, a producer of a widget meet a shop owner at this. And then all of a sudden the shop owner starts carrying the widget and then they refer them to somebody else. And that, that kind of stuff I think would be, would be pretty cool. Um, and you know, the fact that we're recruiting citywide is also uh, attractive that it's not just the folks down the street that we get a better idea of, of what the community at large is doing. Um, and it's not to say that we're not recruiting from Maryland, Virginia too. Um, but, I, I have a, a strong focus on, on, on DC businesses in particular. Um, well, thank you for that. No, of course. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, as we build out the hundred, I've also asked a number of nonprofits to participate because I was at a nonprofit myself when I, when I went through and I learned a ton, uh, just about basic business practices, but then also in terms of pricing, uh, there was a phenomenal speaker, uh, at the national conference who I've now seen a few times, and I actually recommend her book to everybody. So uh, it's called uh, Accounting for the Number Phobic uh, nice, by nice. Don Fotopoulos. Uh, and I, th- the title itself was attractive to me. Um, <laughs> but she broke it. She actually hired a, a, a animator from Disney to bring this book to light. So oh, pictures nice. are even better. Um, but she has this basic idea. She calls this uh, the, the cycle of death in terms of pricing. So if a company or a business is not selling enough product, the first thing they do is cut prices. And then they end up working harder to overcome the, the lost revenue, and they end up working more and making less, and it actually, in the, in the long run, hurts them. Mm-hmm. Um, and she describes it much more eloquently than, than I just did. But I thought about that a lot in terms of uh, fundraising that I was doing at the time. They also, she asked us to identify your best customer and think about them and identify your worst customer and think about them. Very simply, how do you find more of the best customers? What is it about this person that, that is gravitating towards your business, or in my case, and towards your cause? And what can you do, first of all, to keep them, but to get more of them, and not to spend as much time chasing the worst customer? You know, if you have somebody who only pays for your burger when it's half price, do you really want more <laughs> of them? Good point. And, and I think that there's part about this mindset, and, and I mentioned my wife's business, she's in the... the um, services industry she has a a freelance marketing and graphic design firm and pricing always gets kind of sticky in the services industry you know like what what is the true value there it's not like you know you you buy a a water bottle or a burger or something and you know what the price should be you know how do you quantify these things particularly when you're projecting project costs and on a couple of occasions i had to tell her like you can't you can't keep cutting your price because then people aren't going to pay full price and you're going to spend all your time working on the lower price projects and you're not going to be able to even find the, the higher price project. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these kinds of like just basic, if you take a moment and think about it, it's purely logical. Um, but I hadn't thought about it until I did this program. But, but you know, it's hard because yeah. at the end of the day, people want other people to like them. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you you try to entice people to like you by giving them a half price burger or reduce cost on graphic design because you want their business. But you're right. But there are also other, other tangible benefits for accepting a lower price. So if, if this job will lead to other jobs, then it's probably worth it. Sure. Um, if this job is of a, a high profile nature that gets your business out there, it's probably worth it. Yeah. Um, but having to weigh those is, is I think where, where things get pretty interesting. And that's, I think where the coaching component comes in, you know, in the businesses that we coach, we end up asking tons of questions. And if you don't have all the answers, that's fine. But next time 
come with some answers. You know, right. let, let, let's drill right. down on this specific part of your business. If, if it's a cash flow issue, then let's look at how that's operating. You know, if you're, if you're papering the neighborhood with, with coupons all the time, well, somebody's going to walk into their store and not buy something because they forgot their coupon. And they may or may not come back. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they walked in there with the intention to buy something and then, you know, coupon or not, it's staring them in the face. Right. There's, a, there's a, a consumer behavior element there. Right. Yeah. It makes total sense. It, so we're going to have, I think, if you're all right with this, a continuing discussion sure. about this because I, I'd really like to um, touch base with you, um, you know, as, the, as this cohort goes along and uh, maybe we can even profile some of those if, if they're willing sure. to, to come on and, and chat with us about their experience because I think it's something that as long as this program is going on, we should be encouraging businesses to participate. Sure. And, and if, you, if, if I could, let me just give a couple of, of ways to engage with us. Yeah, um, and the way that I've built out the, the Sioka Center Small Business Outreach Program is that I'm not asking you to self-identify what program is going to be best for you necessarily. Just engage and we'll figure it out. So if you, if you might not be uh, the right fit for the ICCC program right now. Um, there are some minimum revenue requirements, and the business should be around for two to three years at least and those kinds of things. Um, but it doesn't mean that we don't have anything for you. Uh, we spend a lot of time building out the, the kind of ancillary services, the small business consulting things we mentioned, um, the gatherings of local business owners that are happening on a monthly basis, those kinds of things. So f- please email me. My, my email address at the university is, is becker, beckerbr at cua.edu. Um, and we will figure out what's best for you in your business and how we can most help you with, with whether it's a program like the ICCC or with the, the help of students and faculty or just inviting you to stuff because we're always trying to give away uh, educational opportunities. Um, that For the ICCC specifically, the, the date locally is September 18th this year. Okay. Um, so we will be accepting nominations and applications really through August. Um, and like I said, you'll hear much more about it. But if you if you pencil it on your calendar now, uh, September 18th, and engage uh, with me, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to help direct you towards our partners in Boston and, and see if it's a good fit. So, uh, Brian, give uh, give listeners um, a web address to find out more information about you and your programs at, at Catholic. So uh, our website is uh, being redesigned a bit this summer. Um, and I think that for right now, if you just, if you email me, that's probably the best thing. Um, and then I will put out a request for projects, uh, probably in late August as well. Um, we're working with at this point over, I think seven or eight different faculty members in different areas within the business school. And what's kind of cool is this year we had to kind of beg them to take on projects. Um, they've realized the value of working with small businesses and the importance of it. And now they've begun to ask me when the next bunch of projects are coming in. So I am going to work closely with them, and there'll be an email that goes out to my distribution list, uh, which is curated. It's, only, it's really only for small business owners, um, and I only email you once a month. Uh, but it, uh, we'll put out a call in late August for next semester's call for projects. Um, and, yeah, so for businesses of any size, uh, it, that could be a great way to, to engage and, and hopefully to take advantage of some of the programming that we do. Okay. So it's uh – Becker, that's B-E-C-K-E-R, B-R, Becker, B-R, at C-U-A dot E-D-U. Yep. All right. Well, Brian, thank you so much for uh, spending some more time with us today. Thanks for having me back. And we'll, um, we'll be following up soon. Sounds great. Thanks, right. Kyle. Thanks, Brian. And uh, 
that's going to wrap it up for us today. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, be sure and uh, hit subscribe on, on iTunes. Make sure you bookmark bliss.fm uh, to listen to these and many more uh, fantastic shows live on your web browser, bliss.fm. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you later. Bye.